with me to 1 Kings, 1 Kings chapter 5. We're going to read the last two verses of chapter 5, and then just follow along with me because we're going to hopscotch a few verses in chapter 6 and two verses in chapter 8. Don't have time to read all through each of these chapters. You might want to go back on your own time and read each of these passages. One of the things that... um, uh, if you're here, you know that we're in the book of Luke in our study, but we're going to take a step out of Luke today. Um, from time to time, the Lord just gives me, uh, leads, leads me to do a topical message. Uh, I'm doing a topical series on Wednesday nights. This coming Wednesday night will be part two, Finances, Faith, and Freedom. If you haven't been coming, come out this Wednesday night. We'll, we'll look at what the scriptures have to say about uh, being financially uh, wise and a good steward of all that God has given us. But uh, the Lord will just put a topical message from time to time on my heart. And I love when it's from the Old Testament because it's a reminder to us that there's a lot in the Old Testament that's for us in the New Testament church age. Amen? The Old Testament was not written only for those in ancient Israel, although it certainly was, but it also is applicable to us today. And so we're going to look at a, pa- a couple of passages uh, this, the setting here is King Solomon uh, is building the very first temple. Now, remember, the children of Israel come out of the, uh, out of the land of Egypt. Uh, they didn't have a temple. They had a tabernacle. The Lord gave them uh, the measurements to build a tabernacle made of badger skins, made of uh, you know, materials that actually could be rolled up, and they could move the tabernacle as they wandered through the wilderness, but eventually uh, David had his heart set on building the Lord a permanent place of worship for the children of Israel in Jerusalem, right there on Mount Moriah, where Abraham had taken Isaac hundreds of years earlier. And then uh, ultimately, the Lord would say to David, You can't build the temple because you were a man of war and you had shed blood, but Solomon, your son, will build the temple, and Solomon uh, does build the temple. <coughs> Solomon also uh, will end up being a type, a type of Christ in this sense. Uh, Solomon building the temple, when, he, when Solomon inherits the kingdom, Israel has its most glorious, peaceful time. Solomon rules and reigns with absolute authority, incredible wealth, the wisest as far as intellectual wisdom uh, given by God, uh, I know that seems, well, he had intellect and he had wisdom, he had both, but uh, he had all of this given to him by the Lord, peace from all the enemies, uh, incredible wealth, and he would rule and reign over the largest territory. And so this is a type of someday Jesus will rule and reign with absolute authority, right? He will bring in perfect peace instead of the most peaceful time in Israel's history. He, of course, will be himself God's temple residing in our midst, although there will be a new temple even then, a new physical temple. And Jesus, of course, will inhabit it with his own glory. And the whole world will be subject to him. And just like people would come from all over to hear Solomon and his wisdom, people will come from all over to worship the Lord Jesus Christ. So you have a type in the Old Testament that kind of sets the stage. And this is when Solomon builds the temple. So turn with me, 1 Kings chapter 5. If you don't have a Bible, simply raise your hand. We'll be glad to put one in your hand, starting with verse 17, just the last two verses of the fifth chapter, 1 Kings chapter 5, last two verses. 
And the king commanded them to quarry large stones, costly stones, and hewn stones to lay the foundation of the temple. So Solomon's builders, Hiram's builders, and the Gebelites quarried them, and they prepared timber and stones to build the temple. Drop down in chapter 6 to verse 7. Uh, Verse 7 is a fascinating verse. The temple, when it was being built, was built with stone finished at the quarry so that no hammer or chisel or any iron tool was heard in the temple while it was being built. Quiet assembly. Building all these large stones, no hammer, no iron tool, nothing heard that while the temple was being built. Drop down to verse 15. Verse 15, and he built the inside walls of the temple with cedar boards. From the floor of the temple to the ceiling, he paneled the inside with wood, and he covered the floor of the temple with planks of cypress. Look at verse 18. The inside of the temple was cedar, carved with ornamental buds and open flowers. All was cedar. There was no stone to be seen. So now the inside, even though all of it was built with stone, the inside was covered on the inside with the cedar and the cypress, all covered up all the stone. Look at verse 22. But then that doesn't stop there. Verse 22, then the whole temple he overlaid with gold. Solomon had a lot of gold. He overlaid it with gold and he finished the temple, so he also overlaid the gold over the entire altar that was in the inner sanctuary. Drop down to verse 27. We'll read verses 27 through 29. Then he set cherubim inside the inner room, and they stretched out the wings of the cherubim, so the wing of one touched one wall, and the wing of the other cherubim touched the other wall. And their wings touched each other in the middle of the room. He also overlaid the cherubim with gold. Then he carved all the walls of the temple all around, both the inner and the outer sanctuaries, with carved figures of cherubim, Palm trees. Notice it's palm trees here, folks. I'm just saying. And open flowers. None of those northern... Anyway. I'm just saying that the warmer temperatures are favored. That's all I'm saying. Verse 38. And in the 11th year, in the month of Bull, which is the 8th month, the house was finished in all its detail according to all its plans. So he was seven years in building it. Now turn to chapter 8. Look at verses 10 and 11. Of course, the temple at this point is fully, fully complete, fully done. Look at verses 10 and 11. And it came to pass when the priest came out of the holy place that the cloud filled the house of the Lord, so that the priest could not continue ministering because of the cloud, for the glory of the Lord filled the house of the Lord. Father, we pray again that your house would be filled this morning with your spirit. We'd hear from you. Lord, that which you built before, you will build again in us for your glory. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I want to show you a couple of photos for just a second. If we can pull up my deck here. I want to give you some visual representation of what you've just read, and then I'll walk you through 
why this is applicable, one of the many reasons why it's applicable to us today. This is um, a rendering of Solomon's temple. Remember that you have Solomon's temple, then you have the rebuilt temple by Zerubbabel, and then you have Herod in the time of Christ will actually take and vastly expand the rebuilt temple of Zerubbabel. But Solomon built the original temple. This This is a rendering of what is believed to be the entire temple structure, but the actual temple itself would be right here. See that length? This is what it looks like. Uh, and again, these are renderings. Nobody knows precisely. Uh, we, can, we can deduct from the measurements that are given. If you read the entire chapters of chapter 5, chapter 6, uh, you'll actually see that the measurements are given. So there's a good understanding of the dimensions of the original temple. Remember, you have the temple building. Uh, think of our church building here as the temple building. The temple structure would be include the parking lot and out there down in the field. All the stuff around is the larger temple structure. But the temple building itself would be just this rectangular building, just like that was a rectangular building. It was a little more magnificent than this building. Quite a bit more. But why did I go back? I don't know. Sorry, I hit that. But this is, um, this is a, a kind of a rendering of what it would look like. No one knows precisely, but again, we have pretty good understanding of the dimensions, so this is a pretty good estimate of what it looked like. And then on the inside, this is a rendering of, remember Solomon overlaid it all with pure gold. Uh, You had the panel, cedar uh, all around. You had the cypress planks as well. And then all of it was covered with pure gold, and once it was covered with pure gold, you had the ancient expert engravers who were great with metalworking and how they even did some of the stuff they did. No one still even knows to this day some of the ancient wonders, how they did what they did working with gold. Of course, they would have to work it uh, probably on a flat surface and actually fit it, and it all had to be fitted perfectly to go up on the walls. Uh, I actually, the one thing I don't agree with in this rendering is I don't think that looks like the cherubim. And if you can read about the cherubim, the description is in Ezekiel chapter 1. Uh, they were four-headed creatures, uh, though the face of a lion was one of them. They stood like a man, and their wings would cover up and cover down over their legs. So I, I don't think this actually looks more like uh, uh, some of the ancient Assyrian or Babylonian statues. But the rest of it, you see the palm trees, the budded flowers. Uh, you see right here is the table of showbread, the altar of incense. That would be the Holy of Holies with the Ark of the Covenant, the cherubim on top. So this is a pretty good look at what the inside... Can you imagine coming into a place that is pure gold everywhere? This actually, when we were in Israel, this is actually underneath... uh, We took a tour underneath the temple, uh, the, the the temple mount, where today the Dome of the Rock sits. But we went underneath because you have water chasms and also areas that were quarried originally for stone, both originally from Solomon and also from Herod. So you can walk under the temple. It's quite amazing. Way under the city, there's actually water down there. There's cisterns full of water. We were able to walk under, and what I want to point your attention to is remember the temple was built on Mount Moriah, which is where Abraham took Isaac. That is where it was, it was fixed on top of the mountain. And Herod... Even and we, we we believe Solomon did the same thing. You can see right here is this is Mount Moriah. 
right there. Here's the temple foundation. They actually carve it right into the mountain. So in other words, the temple foundations are fitted as part of Mount Moriah, and we believe that actually the top of the mountain came up, and I believe with historians and and Jewish uh, scholars that actually the Ark of the Covenant sat on the open face of the mountain. But anyway, I'll give you a picture of what that rendering looks like, and you can still see that open exposed spot is on the Temple Mount today, right there. There's a little gazebo around it. The Dome of the Rock is right over here. Um, But you can see where this is Solomon's original temple grounds. The temple uh, was in here, but the original temple grounds were here. The temple was in here, and then Herod extended the temple grounds all the way. That would be moving north. He extended the temple grounds all the way to there. So I just want to give you a point of reference, and then we'll look at the spiritual application, but at least it gives you an idea of what Solomon built at that time, and then it would go through some transitions over the next several hundred years. We can uh, pull that up, and you can pull the the screen up if you'd like as well. Back to our text. Um, The temple built by Solomon, again, was Israel's first temple. It was built to be the earthly house of the Lord. It was uh, constructed as the holy and unique place where the morning and evening sacrifices would take place. Uh, There would be the place of the annual day of atonement, and the daily priestly services would also take place there. It was to be the permanent place for the original tabernacle. This would be the permanent place. Uh, And the elements such as the golden lampstand, you might have saw the menorahs in there, uh, the table of showbread, and the Ark of the Covenant would all reside inside the permanent structure of the temple. Now Solomon began construction of the temple 490 years after the children of Israel had come out of Egypt. 490 years after they had came out of Egypt, he begins to build the temple. You can see that in 2 Chronicles chapter 3, verse 2. As I mentioned, it was built on Mount Moriah, and the temple faced the temple itself. Remember, our building here, the temple itself faced towards the east. It faced east as the rising of the sun, and that faced directly against the Mount of Olives as well. Of course, when it was rebuilt, it did the same thing. And even today, the eastern gate still faces the Mount of Olives facing east. Um, To prepare the site and the foundation of the temple, it's believed that an area roughly 600 feet by 300 feet on Mount Moriah had to be leveled. Those of you that are familiar with construction, they had to level a flat plain, and part of that had to go into the mountain itself to level it. And then it was slightly enlarged with retaining walls because you saw the big, larger square structure that Solomon built, but then Herod even made it bigger than that. The temple building itself, just the temple building, the one that has the inlaid gold, The temple building itself was 90 feet long, 30 feet wide, and 45 feet tall. So four and a half stories in height, 30 feet wide, 90 feet long, or nine stories in length. The Holy of Holies was a perfect square 30 by 30. 30 by 30 in the Holy of Holies. And again... Solomon was given this privilege to build it, being a type of Christ, and he would then rule and reign and invite all the nation of Israel to come and worship 
before the Lord. But what about you and me? We see the magnificence of the temple completed. We see this beautiful place finished. We didn't see it literally, but we we read about it in the scriptures. We know it was completed. We know it was a glorious time. But what about you and me individually? What about your family? What about this church family? What about the larger body of Christ? We're each representatives of the temple, built up, and we're to be raised up just like that ancient building was. We're to be built up and raised up that God would use us to inhabit his glory. Amen? That we would be the ones to inhabit the glory of the Lord and and really have a light to those around us. Will Will we see a completion in our lives, in your family, in this church, in the body of Christ? Will we actually see a completion? And what can we learn from the original temple that helps us go through this process in our own life? I believe without question we will see a completion in us and in the church and even in this church because the Lord has a perfect plan and whatever God starts, he actually completes. Amen? If you're taking notes, I've titled our time in God's word this morning, What God Builds, He Completes. What God Builds, He Completes. Philippians 1.6 says, He who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Christ Jesus. He began a temple, he finished a temple. He'll begin one in us, and he'll finish the work. It's hard for us to think we'll finish, he'll finish the work because we look in the mirror a lot. And we see an unfinished building, don't we? We see a crumbling building, a falling apart building. And yet the Lord is actually, spiritually speaking, Raising us up, making us stronger, putting us together. I want to look at the different elements that, uh, not all of them, but we'll look at some of the elements that took place here in the building of the temple and look at those in the light of what the Lord is doing in us personally, in us as a church family, and in the body of Christ. Let's look first at the stones that uh, in in 1 Kings chapter 5, the last two verses, uh, the king commanded them to quarry large stones, costly stones, and hewn stones the foundation, the temple. Solomon uh, brings these large stones. He has Hiram, which uh, was the king up in what would be modern-day Lebanon. Uh, He has a lot of uh, stone workers uh, that he lends to Solomon. He also has men that are experts in various uh, elements of construction. Solomon has his own, and so he actually hires some of the experts from the king there of Hiram, or King Hiram, to come and help. But the stones here were all different sizes. Some of them were massive stones. Uh, we have no idea definitively. We 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 have some ways where we think they move them. Some have called uh, some of these things ancient miracles that we don't nearly know. And when you have some of the stones uh, that were 160, 180 thousand. Pounds, it's pretty big. Uh, and how they moved them, how they cut them, they were cur- uh, very smooth. But you have all these different stones of different sizes. 
And when you think about all of us, those of us who have come to Christ, we've been born again, uh, we've been cut out of the world by the Lord, haven't we? From faraway places, from different places, those of you that have come to Christ, many of you didn't come to Christ here in Richmond. God cut you out of the rocks somewhere else, pulled you out from a different place, cut you out. And when stones are, they're often buried deep in dark places, aren't they? Actually, where you get gold and all the other precious gems and things like that, they're in the dark, difficult places, but God brings us out and has cut us out of the world and brought us and then brings us to a pre-designed place because God had already pre-prepared where these stones would go, exactly where they'd be laid, where they'd be put, all these different sizes placed in different spots. You know, if you're a stone, you don't get to choose where you're put. And if you're a born-again believer, God puts us where he wants to put us. The kids you gave are the stones he gave. The kids he's given to you or to given to me, the family he gave. You don't get to trade in your family for another family. You might want to, but you get placed where God places you. The stones, uh, if, you've, if you get to go to Israel, uh, these massive uh, quarries where the limestone was cut. The limestone, it's called the Jerusalem stone there today. Even in Israel today, all the buildings by edict of law, all the buildings have to be dressed on the outside, either built completely of Jerusalem stone or the building has to be clad on the outside by that same uh, limestone, that Jerusalem stone. And it's beautiful, but it comes in a lot of different shades of color. And so do we. God cuts the church out of different stones we're all of one race, but he cuts all the stones for the body of Christ, and they're all these different shades of the same color because it's really the same rock. We're all uh, descendants of Noah or descendants of Adam, and he cuts individually out. And then it's balanced to perfection because God doesn't make any mistakes with his church, does he? Didn't make any mistakes with Israel, didn't make any mistakes with us. We're the ones that make the mistakes, but he doesn't make any mistakes. <laughs> In 1 Peter 2, verse 5, it says this, and this is a, you wonder, you think Peter had an understanding of the temple? Listen to what he says. 1 Peter 2, 5, you also, as living stones, are being built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Peter just described walking through the temple. He's described the sacrifices the priestly duties, but he said that we are living stones. See, the stones in, in Solomon's temple, they weren't living stones. There'd be a living God that would come to live inside, but we are compared to stones built in the foundations of the temple that would be living stones, but we're fitted together for the glory of God. Second, uh, Second Corinthians 6.16, it says, for you are the temple of the living God. Now that verse, when Paul is speaking there, is most applicable that the church fellowship, the church body is the temple, but it is true that us individually are a temple. You've heard people say, my body's a temple. That's why I don't smoke. Or I don't do this, or I don't do that, because my body's a temple. Well, really, for the believer, we really are individually made into temples for the Holy Spirit to reside, but collectively, the body of Christ in Calvary Chapel Richmond is also a spiritual temple. When we're not here, 
this building remains, but the temple of the body is spread all over Richmond, spread all over the United States. There's a one temple body of believers. And so these actual stones in our lives, we, God uses us as living stones where he's actually taken our heart of stone, given us a heart of flesh, and fitted us together as one body. There's more of this in the New Testament. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 20 through 22. Having been built on the foundation, I love this, listen to this. Having been built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets and Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone in whom the whole building fitted together grows into a holy temple in the Lord and whom you also are being built together for a dwelling place of God in the Spirit. Some of you that are new to the Bible might have thought, how is he going to fit this ancient temple thing into this whole spiritual thing? I don't have to. The apostles wrote about it. Paul wrote about it. Peter wrote about it. And they say that Jesus is the chief cornerstone of the whole building and we're being built into a spiritual temple. Think about also the way a temple, as it relates to the stones, and think about all of us. If you look at the stones, did you see how tightly fit they are together? I showed you like the under, under the ground, the foundations. You can't put a dime in between them. That's how close God wants the body of Christ to be fitted together. It's not always fitted together like that. When the stones are not close together, the enemy can come right through gaps. But they were meant to be really tight. I'm glad, even in our, in our marriage, um, God's made us to be one flesh. I'm glad we're one flesh. We were worshiping this morning. Me and my wife were all in each other's worship space down here. <laughs> but that's okay because we're commanded to draw near to one another, to be tightly fitted. The Lord wants to fit you together as your husband and wife, but he also wants to fit the body together. Each of the stones laid perfectly in place, different sizes, different shades of color, all of these different things, quarried from different areas, but all fitted together. But the Lord is the one that chooses where we will be. In Psalm 37, 23, the steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord. He orders our steps, he orders where we're... I didn't choose to be born in Annapolis, Maryland. And my second birth wasn't until 26 years later in Fort Lauderdale, Florida. But God knows all of these things, and he pre-fits all the pieces together. Someone here might be called to Christ today in Chesterfield County, right here, where he would fit you into his building, the temple. It's his design. He chooses to use the materials of souls that have been redeemed. And one other thing about the stones. Notice that stones, God chooses a stone here. Uh, stone, you can, it can rain on a stone. You can try and light stones on fire. You know, you can bake on them. All of these things, they will become, God wants us to become strong, resolute, not, not easily moved. It's hard to push around heavy stones, isn't it? God wants us to be strength like, uh, have that kind of strength. But the only way we can have that is to be founded on the Word of God. So even when the Lord fits us in, we need to be fitted to who? 
the chief cornerstone. It said there in Ephesians, all these things were built on the apostles, prophets, and the Lord Jesus Christ himself. If we ever try and build this church, if you ever try and build your family and anything but the word of God, we've got no chance. Unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain to build it. Amen? Let's look at the silent construction. I don't know if you've read that verse before. Many of you probably have. Some of you probably had skipped right over that and said, uh, you know, I didn't even see that. Verse 7, the temple when it was being built was built stone finished in the quarry so that no hammer, no chisel, no iron was heard while it was being built. Can you imagine the sight? Just a completely quiet environment. No no jackhammers like you hear in New York City when a, um, when a construction's going up, and you got to hear that beep, 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 you know, all that stuff, that dump trucks backing up, and all these other sounds. Not the temple. Quiet. It's moving the stones in place. It's a quiet, mysterious work. We don't know all that took place there. But, you know, God does a quiet, mysterious work in calling us to Him, doesn't He? Very quiet, mysterious. He's working on some people that you have no idea he's working on. You're like, really? That person's having spiritual thoughts? Yeah. God might send a dream in the night because you and I failed to say what we should have said at one time, and God says, I'll, I'll still speak to him. Does his quiet, mysterious work all over the world. He's he's reaching, Muslims uh, are actually having dreams in some of the worst places in the world where they're seeing Christ or seeing the gospel come to them. Amazing things. But this work that was being done, it was to be quiet out of reverence to God. It was that the temple itself would not have the method. See, the methods of man are hammers, chisels. God says this will not be built with the methods of man, it was to be built quietly and reverence to God, but without all the methods of man. Now, to be sure, the methods were used, chisels, hammer stuff, were used far away in the quarries or, or, or underneath where the sound couldn't be heard. But when it was fitted together, it wasn't going to be with man's tools. And by the way, if you want to see your family fitted together, we want to see this church fitted together, it cannot be with the tools and methods of man. There's a reverence for the Lord, and a reverence for the Lord is to do it His way. To be reverent, to wait patiently, quietness. These are the things that the Lord wants us to just trust Him. Quietly let God do that work in our lives. And once it is, He's he's glorified. In 2 Thessalonians 3.12, Paul writes, We command and exhort, exhort through our Lord Jesus Christ that they work in quietness. Paul said we command that people just work in quietness, not trying to draw attention to themselves. You know, it's really annoying when you have people trying to draw attention to themselves, isn't it? Not just in the church, obviously in your workplace. Don't you love the one employee who's always trying to make sure everyone knows all the great stuff they've done? Isn't that pleasurable for everybody? Will somebody just tell them we all know what you're doing? Right? And you don't have to do it anymore. We see what you're doing. Quietness. People will observe and know it's coming together. You don't have to shout, you know, sound, the Pharisees would sound, you know, the trumpets. We're about to give. Watch us. Watch the amazing thing. We're, we're going to get big money today. Watch. 
not drawing attention to ourselves, but we're to be effective. The temple was being fitted together. We're to be productive. There was a lot of work going on here. It wasn't a goof-off time. It was quiet. A lot of work was taking place, not drawing attention to ourselves. But we can be confident that God is doing a quiet construction in us. Aren't you glad you know that? Say, it's so quiet I can't even hear it. That's why you're told to be still and know that he is God. You won't hear it with all the distractions of smartphones and all the you know, uh, things that we've got. I mean, the distractions we have today, I'm not immune to them either. We've got a lot of them, don't we? And sometimes we've got to turn all that stuff off to be reverent before the Lord. The Bible says in Jude that he's building us up in our holy faith, building us up. It's a quiet process sometimes. And actually, some of God's construction on us, think about it, is actually a reduction. Because he's getting rid of the old man in us, isn't he? He's getting rid of the impurities, the, the rough marks. In John 15, 2 and 3, it says, Every branch that bears fruit, he prunes. When you're actually bearing fruit, he prunes. Not just when you're not bearing fruit, when you are bearing fruit, he prunes. That it might bear what? More fruit. No matter how much progress we've seen in the building process, there's still more that God wants to do. Much of this in our own life is a very quiet process between us and the Lord. Our, our growth in life, our walk in this world. It's not even noticeable to some people for a while. Some people won't even notice for a while that you've grown in the Lord. You might even not even notice for a while until you realize, man, I haven't even had such and so desire in a while. It's happening quietly, deep within the recesses of our soul where the Lord can work, where no one else can work. And even in Isaiah 30, 15, it says this, says, in quietness and confidence shall be your strength. You want to grow to have a quietness before the Lord, but a quiet confidence in walking in this world. That you're not rattled by every single thing. That you're able to work calmly, quietly for the Lord, not for fanfare, not for the applause of others, not for anyone to notice, but also in reverence to the Lord, but a confidence that God is doing a work in you. Because he's promised that he will complete it. Amen? And as your faith grows, the old desires fade, and the godly desires become stronger and stronger. And then he helps us keep those things we've committed. I know it's like watching the hands on the clock sometime, isn't it? But that silent work the Lord is doing, even when you don't sense God working, you still do what he said because it is working. And he's fitting your family together. He's fitting this church together. He's fitting you individually together. But the progress will become evident. Second First Timothy 4.15, he says the progress will become evident to all, but not immediately. Let's look at the work on the inside here. Verses uh, 15, start with verse 15. Taking notes, uh, we looked at the stones, we looked at the silent, quiet construction. Now let's look at the work on the inside. Verses 15, uh, starting with verse 15. Built the inside with cedar, uh, cedar boards from the floor of the temple. And then we see that uh, he ends up covering it in verse, eight, uh, uh, verse 22. 
overlaid with gold, ornamental buds, flowers, engraved. Verse 29, the carved figures of the cherubim, the palm trees, the open flowers. What is all this telling us from a parallel to our spiritual walk? Well, let's look at cedar for just a second. Cedar is one of the most advantageous woods to build with. It's expensive to build with cedar. Solomon had plenty of money. God had blessed him tremendously, so he was able to build with cedar. Cedar, um, uh, as a lumber, it actually repels insects. You know, they have cedar inlaid drawers. Matter of fact, they used to build a lot of houses with cedar because it's uh, resistant to termites, other insects. It uh, resists rot naturally. It resists rot. Um, it actually handles water and beads up with the natural oils that are in it. It has a really nice aroma. Boy, isn't there a lot of spiritual parallel that God would desire us not to rot? That we would have a nice aroma? That we would be impervious to the attacks of insects and wind and water and all the things that the enemy, the fiery darts that would come against us? So we see that cedar itself has its own spiritual application. And then it's covered in pure gold. The Bible talks about all of us being refined like pure gold, all the impurities being purged out, that pure gold is overlaid. Not that 12-carat stuff, 14-carat stuff. Pure gold, laid over, high value. God, we're we're not born with any value, but when we're saved, God places value on us. We become valuable because God makes us valuable. But there's no real value in us. The Bible says even our righteousness is what? Filthy rags. I remind myself often the best, most spiritual day I've ever had is worthless as far as righteousness goes. And yet God is still doing, and it's a paradox, that yet God is still doing an interior work in us, even though our best doesn't measure up in any way to what he asked for, which is why he sent Jesus to bridge that gap. But the beautiful interior of the temple, you saw just a rendering of it. Uh, you had the engravers. You had the expert carpenters. Uh, everything had to be laid to precision, to perfection. The overlaying of gold, these strong stone walls. Think about it. You have these incredibly strong stone walls. Then you have laid over them the impervious to all the elements of cedar, and then you have pure gold laid over top of that. That's not only beautiful, but that is magnificently built in strength and in beauty and in purpose. And we see these flourishing plants. See, the flourishing plants are the palm trees. Palm trees are the where we get dates. If you like dates, not everybody does, but those who like dates, they come from palm trees. Palm trees flower as well. You have the flowering buds. See, the Lord wants us to produce fruit. He wants us to flourish. He wants us to grow. In Psalms, it says that we will, the righteous will flourish like a palm tree. It's one of my favorite psalms, that we would flourish like that. And there you see the inside. You see, well, what are the cherubim all about? We see, the, uh, we see the angels in the presence of the Lord, and the Lord wants us to be pure, to be holy, The presence of the angels on the wall is just a a reminder that inside of us, the Lord wants to reside like in the holy place, that there's not sin, 
and rebellion and all the things that, uh, that we're prone to, that it would be a holy place. And when it's a holy place, it'll be a place of growing, won't it? When the, when the Lord does that work of cleansing out the things that are in our flesh, we'll see a growth And it's his handiwork. It's not the engravers now. It's the handiwork of the Lord that's engraving inside of us. 2 Peter 1, verses 5 through 8 says, But for this reason, giving all diligence, add to your faith. Starts with the foundation of faith, right? First, you have to have salvation. But with the foundation of faith, add to your faith. Virtue, and to virtue, knowledge, and to knowledge, self-control, and to self-control, perseverance, and to perseverance, godliness and to godliness, brotherly kindness and to brotherly kindness, love. For if these things are yours and abound, you will neither be barren nor unfruitful. The palm trees would bud. The ornamental flowers that had to be engraved were budding flowers. Why? Because that we are a picture and the inside is fruitful. What did Jesus say about the inside of the Pharisees? They were full of dead men's bones. They were the opposite. There was not fruit. It was not a beautiful gold-laid interior. It was a rusted-out hall of a shell of hypocrisy. The Lord would desire that we would be fruitful and growing. And I also think on the inside, those of you who have been saved, uh, I won't ask you to raise hands, but you, sh- you should be praying and God say, Lord, I want to see new spiritual gifts in my life. Say, I don't have the gift of hospitality. Pray for it. I don't have the gift of evangelism. Pray for it. You have not because you ask not, Jesus said. He wants to adorn the inside, but a lot of times we're content. Oh, we don't need the gold. We've got the cedar walls. That's good enough. I'm okay with, I, I'm okay with cedar walls. And God says, but I want to do far more than that. I'm, I'm good where I'm at. I just stick with the cedar. Well, the gold is a lot more of a magnificent work. The Lord wants to take us to that next place. Let's look at the next. It takes time, verse verse 38. The 11th year in the month of Bull, the 8th month, the house was finished. All its details. All of its details. And all the plans. You and I do halfway jobs sometimes. Solomon is a type of Christ here. It's a completed work. Not a halfway job, a completed job. Everything done, fully complete. And that took seven years, so it's seven years in the building. The work of the Lord rarely happens quickly. Does everyone understand that? The work of the Lord rarely happens quickly. God does not do microwave work for the most part. It's a slow cooking oven. We would like everything to be, I want this to download and one eighth of a second. Doesn't work that way in the Christian life. You know, David, remember when he was anointed to be king? He might have thought, all right, next week I'll be sitting on the throne. 15 years later. 15 years later. And Saul hunted him for a long, a, a good portion of that time. This does not seem like the introduction to kingship. 
I killed Goliath. I did some really good stuff. I was anointed to be king. This surely is going to happen quickly. He thought he was going to die much of that 15 years. That's where he wrote some of his most laborious psalms. Joseph, he has this dream. hate to tell you guys, but uh, you're all going to be bowing down to me. I, I, I didn't give myself the dream. The Lord gave it to me. It's pretty much going to happen. About 13 years later, it comes to fruition. During that time, he got to do fun things like be a slave and spend time in a dungeon. That's how God prepared him to be a king. That's how God prepared David to be a king. How about Paul? Paul gets saved on the road to Damascus. He's blinded. He was already blind spiritually. God blinds him physically. And Paul repents and receives Christ. Well, he must immediately go start planting churches. Nope. It's about 13 years later, Paul starts doing. He had a training period. And then even when he got in, it wasn't a fun time. It was a lot of difficulty. Shipwrecks, snake bites, all kinds of stuff being stoned. But all that brings God's work to a completed work. We now look back at it and say, oh, I love the story of Joseph, David, Paul. say, well, you should have walked it with us. (laughs) It is nice in a Bible story. It is nice when you're coloring coloring book and you you, you get to see the coat of men in color, but you should have been there. And so we wonder why God seems to take so long on things takes time. James 5.8, you also be patient. Establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord is at hand. How can the coming of the Lord be at hand and yet we're supposed to wait a long time for it? Another paradox. It's by faith we know it's at hand and yet we're to patiently wait. The temple, you know, people wanted to, people wanted to see it built. There was no rush. We couldn't rush. It had to be quiet. Had to be the right stones. Had to be engraved just right. The Lord gave these perfect designs. When God's the architect, you don't change the plans. And when God's the architect of your life, my life, and this church, you don't change the plans. You take the time that is needed. I love Ecclesiastes, which was written by Solomon 7 8, says the end of the thing is better than its beginning. Isn't that great? The end of a thing is better than its beginning. And the patient in spirit is better than the proud in spirit. The proud in spirit are anxious, rush into things. The patient spirit, we wait on the Lord. Listen to this. Um, I shared a couple of weeks ago a passage from, or a, a section from a, a sermon by Martin Luther you know, several hundred years ago. Here's another section from a sermon he preached on a Sunday morning several hundred years ago. And listen to what he says. This is speaking of time. But our human weakness tells us it's been too long. I've been waiting for help for 5, 10, or 20 years, and there's no end in sight. But remember that God made these promises to you. He is your friend and your father. Because of his grace and mercy, God has promised to take care of you like a father takes care of his little child. He is your father. You are his dear child. Does your sinful nature still tell you that hoping in God is foolish? Don't worry. Continue to wait with all believers. What Christ promises in Matthew 24, 13 will come to pass. He who stands firm to the end will be saved. In the 1600s, they had the same worries that we do. Will it ever come to pass? 
Will we ever see this victory in our life? Will we ever see these things? Will I ever get over this stronghold? It'll come to pass when we wait patiently on the Lord. Will we see the, the, the souls say, will we see people disciple? We continue to continue to believing. These things take time. But they also take the effort in that time. The work had to be completed. It was seven years. Thousands of man hours. Folks, to do the work of Christ, it, it cost us our time, our talent, and our treasure. But it's really not even ours. Who owns all three of those things? The Lord does. He owns our time. He owns our talent. He owns our treasure. The, the, the way we know this is a, a fact, people die all of a sudden. And they don't take any of those three, three things with them, do they? They don't take their time. They don't take their talent. They don't take their treasure. Because it never really was theirs. It's not ours. But here in this life, it will take time. It took 30,000 Israelites and 150,000 Canaanites, stonecutters, metal workers, engravers, laboring and working together. We looked at Abraham last week. Remember, Sarah did part. The young man did part. Working together. It takes time, but it also takes effort within that time, and we need to have our lives yielded that we're doing the work of the Lord, not just doing our own thing. It would have taken the temple even longer if they weren't focused on the work. Um, one of the missionaries down in Brazil, uh, Claire uh, Ferreira, I love that uh, she posted yesterday. I love this quote. It's an African proverb. It says, if you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, go together. I love it. If you want to go fast, go alone. You want to go far? Go together. And the Lord, it was a together. It took, it took a group of people working together. And they all had to wait patiently. And they all had to work together. And they all had to be knit, fitted together. But when the work is complete, it's worth it, isn't it? Let's look at the last part, the filling in chapter 8. Chapter 8, the filling came to pass. The cloud filled the house of the Lord. The priest could not continue ministering because of the cloud, for the glory of the Lord had filled the place. This is what the Lord desires to do. Not only to mature us, not only to build us up, not only to knit us together, fit us together, strengthen us, get rid of the old man, but he also desires us to fill us with the power. See, there's no power in the building itself unless God fills it. Amen? It's beautiful, but it needs the power and presence of God. Ephesians 5.18 tells us to be filled with the Spirit. And it's an interesting thing that if you've already been given the Holy Spirit with salvation, that God says to be filled with the Spirit. If you're saved, you've been sealed with the Spirit, but we have to abide in Christ for the filling and the overflow of the Spirit. Does that make sense? We've already been sealed from a salvation standpoint with the Spirit, but the life of the Spirit, the flow and the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives is that yielding. John seven thirty eight says, Jesus said, He who believes in me, as the Scripture said, out of his heart will flow rivers, plural, rivers, of living water, not a going in all directions. There's times in your life when you realize 
There ain't many rivers flowing out of me. It's pretty dry. And if it is, we need to go back to the chief cornerstone and patiently wait for the refilling. Amen? That's what we see in the book of Acts. They prayed and they waited to be filled. Andrew Murray said, just as water seeks and fills the lowest place, so the moment God fills you a based The moment God finds you abased and empty, his glory and power will flow in. Did you hear that? God has to find us abased and empty for the power to flow in. And he says, when the whole soul is yielded to the Spirit, God himself will fill it. Even after God's done a beautiful work, we can still stop yielding to the Spirit. Amen? Many people, we can look back and say, yeah, there was a time when I was just brimming with the power of God in my life, and then I stopped yielding to the Lord, the filling had stopped. The rivers were no longer flowing. We have to go back to the place where we're abased and empty, back to the place where our soul is yielded, and the Holy Spirit of God will fill it. You know, God wasn't going to fill the temple just because Israel built a temple. They had to, when Solomon dedicated, everyone got prostrate before the Lord. You recognize that? It wasn't just that it was filled... Everyone had to be humbled before the Lord. Then the Lord came in. He wasn't impressed just that the building was built. He wanted to see the building yielded to him. And God wants to see us yielded individually and collectively. Now, you know, the, the temple, that temple, temple the, the physical temple that was built, because of sin and rebellion, it was eventually destroyed. And it's sad that we would never... Not, no, the world today, we cannot see that magnificent thing that God had done. It was destroyed because of sin and rebellion. As I mentioned earlier, it was rebuilt by Zerubbabel and a remnant that had come back from the Babylonian and the Persian captivity, uh, along with the encouragement of the prophets Haggai and Zechariah. It was rebuilt. Later, as I mentioned, that temple that was rebuilt, which was a much more modest, the one that Zerubbabel built was not near as beautiful as Solomon's, But then King Herod would take and expand it and make a magnificent structure. It was one of the ancient wonders of the time of Christ. and He would make it even grander. But then that temple in A.D. 70 was destroyed by Titus as he ransacked and destroyed Jerusalem, exactly as Jesus had prophesied would take place. And still another temple is going to be built. And eventually there will be a permanent temple structure in the land promised to Abraham, eternal one to come. But here's my question as we come to a close. Maybe you need to be rebuilt. Because the temple was destroyed. That magnificent, destruct, that magnificent construction, which God completed to perfection, it was not built to be destroyed. Sin and rebellion, God says, hands off. If you don't want my help, But you know what? The children of Israel cried out for mercy after it had been destroyed. God gave them another chance to rebuild it. Maybe you need to be rebuilt. Maybe you need to be cleansed and filled by the Holy Spirit. You can. You can be rebuilt and you can be cleansed because one greater than the temple has come. Amen? It is he who has cut out saved, and built up every born-again believer in this room and every born-again believer 
around the world. In Mark chapter 14, 58, it records this about Christ. It says, we heard him say, by they hated when Jesus said this, by the way, I will destroy this temple made with hands, and within three days I will build another made without hands. That was the great temple that Herod had built, and it would be destroyed. But Jesus said, another one that's greater, made without hands, is going to be raised up three days later. And that's the temple that we cling to, amen? Not the ancient one. It was a picture. It was a type. Jesus is the temple made without hands. And then, but individually, he's still rebuilding all the individual temples that he has called by name. In Revelation 21.5, Jesus says, Behold, I make all things new. He doesn't need the old temple to make a new one. Amen? He's laying the foundation. Well, he does lay the foundation because he is the foundation. Restoration, he does that too. Beautifying the inside, he does that too. New construction, he does that too. Repairs, he does that. Fitting it all together, he does that. Individually, our families, and even as a church family, Brothers and sisters, we need the master carpenter to save us, to build us, and to complete us. Amen? Let's close in prayer. Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, written so long ago, but speaks to our present condition of our need, Lord, to be built up, to be fitted together as believers. But some here, Lord, may... They may need to be rebuilt. Either they have fallen back, slidden back, turned away, or Lord, they've never been built and placed, quarried out of the stones of this world and placed into the body of Christ in the first place. And Lord, we want to we want to be built up. We want to be restored where there's destroyed lives. Even before the worship team plays, I'm going to ask, we don't, I don't normally do an altar call, but I'm going to this morning. If there's anyone 